We start out with a big idea today. The big idea is the sermon title. It's right there on your notes. It's right there on the bulletin. It's right here on this board. And I'm going to define three words for you here, just so we're clear exactly what we mean by this in basic terms. When we use the word adopt, what we mean is make it our own. So we want to adopt Jesus' death. We want to make Jesus' death our own in a way that is a test for our outlook. And we could have said maybe it's the test, but there are other tests of our outlook, other spiritual tests that we could derive from Scripture that are good principles, like you know, maybe we could say adopt Jesus' resurrection as a test of your outlook. And to what extent does the victory over sin that happens in Jesus, how much does that show up in your life? So we could talk about other tests. So that's why this isn't the test, but it's probably way up there as perhaps the most important. So we're going to adopt Jesus' death from the text today as a test of our outlook. The word outlook here, we're just basically taking today to mean all of our perceptions about life. We could use the word worldview. Um, We could talk about our perceptions about life. Um, That's what we mean by the word outlook. W, that's an I. Adopting Jesus' death as a test of your outlook doesn't mean adopting Jesus' death as what this initially looks like that I'm drawing here. Looks like a funnel. This is not a funnel. This is a filter. Multiple things come in. One thing comes out. The thing that comes out is Jesus' death because it's a filter. We're filtering out everything else. Jesus' death is what we want coming out as the pattern and the purpose of our lives. We'll see that from Scripture here as we talk about uh, Philippians and Paul writing this to the people at Philippi. But this is where we're headed. We want to adopt Jesus' death. We want to make His death our own outlook. So whatever comes into our life, the test of whether or not we are following Christ as He wants us following Christ in a manner that is like He died for us, then we adopt His death as a test for that. Let me show you where we get that. Jump in at Philippians 1, 27 and following. We're going to sort of summarize where we've come from a little bit at first here, just so we're all on the same page about Philippians, and then we'll jump into the death part. Uh, Philippians 1, 27 through 30 is where we get this first point of being called not only to believe in Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. That comes straight out of uh, the verses that we'll see there. But jump in at verse 27. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Last week we summarized this with this phrase. We'll put it up here again so you can see it. Live like a citizen of a kingdom. Live like a citizen of a kingdom that has good news to share. If you need to hear a little more where we get that, you can listen to uh, the sermon online, fccgreenville.org, last week. But the basic gist is this. Live like a citizen of a kingdom that has good news to share. The word Paul uses here for let your manner of life, that's just one word. Let your manner of life is one word that he uses that has uh, sort of political overtones to it, meaning live like a citizen of a particular kind of kingdom. And so he takes that word and he applies it to the kingdom of heaven. He says that we are meant to live like citizens of a particular kingdom, in this case, heaven, 
We in part know that because of Philippians 3.20 where he says, live as citizens of heaven. He says uh, that, that when we accept Christ, we have accepted that our citizenship is in this new realm where Jesus is Lord and we should live like that. And, and, and by the way, we're not just grabbing evangelism uh, out of nowhere, this idea of having good news to share. We're not just grabbing it out of thin air, and I'm not just sort of imposing it on the text because I love evangelism and care about it, and I never want us to lose focus on it. Those things are true, but, but I'm actually getting it from the larger context of what he's already said in Philippians about being partners for the advance of the gospel. Key, key stuff for all of Philippians. He has already said to the Philippians, as he wrote them earlier in Philippians 1, uh, verses 5 and 12 are, are key places for this, that they are partners in the advance of the gospel. It's part of why he, he prays with joy for them, about them, because the gospel took root in their lives, and now they're side by side for the faith of the gospel. They're striving together for the advance of the gospel. So, so verse 27, When we read, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he still means to say, let your manner of life be about this partnership of the advance of the gospel. They're practically tantamount side by side. Practically tantamount side by side here. So when he's saying, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, he's saying, live like a citizen of a kingdom that has good news to share. Now Paul is concerned that they live like this uh, because he planted this church. He loves these people. Ten years previous to him writing is when he planted this, uh, probably early 50s A.D., probably writing about 61 or 2 A.D. So he he loves these people. He he planted this church, uh, and he doesn't know if he's going to be there for good because he's writing them from jail, so he may or may not make it out to be with them. And so he says, live like this. Because I may not be around. That's why he keeps keep reading here. That's why he says this in verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, whether I'm with you or not, whether I make it of jail or not, whether I'm dead or alive, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Remember last week we talked about this idea that standing firm has two components to it. Standing firm has two components. Uh, the first component is that striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How do I know if I'm standing firm? If I'm striving side by side with others for the faith of the gospel and part two, component two of standing firm, and if I am not frightened in anything by my opponents. That's what he's saying to them. Standing firm has two components. Number one, striving side by side. Number two, not intimidated by imp- uh, the opponents. Last week we talked about these opponents, uh, not necessarily just being like the bad guys out there, uh, the people we like to vilify as evil, uh, not even those who vote or legislate things that I don't like, but the opponents are those who oppose the gospel. That's left ambiguous because he means to say an opponent is anyone who opposes the advance of the gospel. Remember, partnership of the advance of the gospel, that's the key to this whole book partnership of the advance of the gospel. In fact, we'll find out later on in Philippians that the opponents he's talking about are not on the outside. These are people from the inside. In fact, if you read lots of Paul's writings, the opponents he's talking about are mostly 
those from the inside. So when you stand firm, side by side, striving with one mind for the faith of the gospel, the opponent's part of that will mean that we are striving side by side with those in the body who may be opposing, may be engaged in a conflict that means that the opponents are sometimes those who oppose the gospel from the inside. And last week we said that could be any one of us. (laughs) That could be any one of us. If our partnership in the advance of the gospel turns into the advance of our kingdom. So, So when we're standing firm, side by side for the faith of the gospel, not intimidated by those who oppose us in anything, he says, this is what results, verse 28. That is a clear sign to them, to the opponents of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So, so far, (laughs) here's where we are. Live like a citizen of a kingdom that has good news to share which will mean that partnership in the advance of the gospel will will entail striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel with other people will also entail having opponents. That's where we are so far and nothing about Jesus' death. We're just catching you up to where we are and setting the, the tone for where we're headed. Adopting Jesus' death as a test of our outlook starts here in verses 29 and 30. That's where hints of this begin to come in. In fact, to use our our, our sort of lingo so far, to live like a citizen of a kingdom that has good news to share. And here's, here's the kicker where Jesus' death starts to come in here. To live like a citizen of a kingdom that has good news to share will mean experiencing suffering. That's the piece of it that begins to tell us about Jesus' death. Read here in verses 29 and 30. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He says, for it has been graced to you. This word granted is the same word we use for grace. It's just the verbal form of the noun uh, for grace. So, so think about that for a second. Paul calls it grace, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him. And even though the, the word in the New Testament believe entails a lot more than intellectual assent. Uh, let's, let's state for our purposes that, that Paul is saying, To believe in Jesus is just so much more than this intellectual assent. It means to also actually, in one's life, in the flesh, in one's body, actually live the death of Jesus and to suffer for his sake. And he calls that, of all the things he could have chosen, he calls it grace to participate in that process. James 1-2 says, Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Paul calls it grace that for the sake of Christ's mission, that's the key. It's not grace if it's for for anything else. (laughs) Just keep it away if it's for anything else. But he calls it grace that for the sake of Christ's mission and for the sake of God's glory, he says you should not only believe in him, meaning Christ, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul is saying when you follow Jesus, you don't merely believe in him. 
This isn't just about giving intellectual assent to his perfect and sinless life lived for our imperfect and sinful life. It's not just that. It's not just a belief in Jesus whose life counts as righteous for us and gives us the ability to have a relationship with Him. Sure, it is that. But if it's that, it is also this. It is also the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus being adopted as my own outlook. I mean, listen, belief in Jesus, everybody likes that. Oh, I love the idea that God would come and give me relationship with Him. Everything that follows, you can keep it. And that's where a lot of people are stuck. Paul is saying if you're actually following Him, then this is about reliving His death in your own life, in your flesh. Paul actually means to say that living in partnership for the advance of the gospel will result in suffering like Christ. Because when you do that, you will be engaged in the same conflict, as he said in verse 30 about Paul, you'll be engaged in the same conflict that Christ was. Friends, when we become believers in Jesus, we are saying yes to becoming sufferers for Jesus. Now don't just, don't just tweet that. Live that. When we become believers in Jesus, we also become sufferers for Jesus. What Paul is calling us to is the same radical denial of self that Jesus called us to and modeled. That's why Paul says later on in Philippians 3, like we read earlier in the service, whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, For his sake, for the sake of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says, I count them as rubbish. All of that stuff that was gained for me, I now count it as rubbish compared to knowing Christ and being found in him. So for Paul to be engaged in the same conflict of the gospel, And its advance will mean suffering. So friends, a question, a practical question to to end this, uh, this section. What does the suffering that you are or are not experiencing, what does the suffering that you are or are not experiencing say about the conflict in which you are actually engaged? What does the suffering that you are or are not experiencing say about the nature of the conflict in which you are actually engaged? I don't just mean this intellectual assent like, yes, I'm engaged in in, in spiritual battle for Jesus and I'm suffering in this way. But I'm saying, how does it happen? And what does that actual life lived say about the conflict in which you were engaged. Paul is warning us, don't engage in your own kingdom building. It it, it will be empty. It, It will not work. It will take you where you don't want to go. We're called not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. 
Secondly, starting in chapter 2, Paul emphasizes that we're called not only to uh, enjoy the benefits, to enjoy the comforts of the gospel, uh, but also to pass them on. Look at where we get this here in uh, chapter 2. He says, verse 1, So if if there is any encouragement in Christ, which there is, or any comfort from love, which there is, or any participation in the Spirit, which there is, or any affection and sympathy, which there is, he's saying, if you have received any of these, if there are benefits to the gospel and of knowing Jesus for our purposes, let's just say if Jesus' death brought these comforts of the gospel for us, then, verse 2, then complete my joy. Keep on growing. Keep on moving to become faithful and fruitful followers of the gospel. Keep on strengthening in the partnership for the advance of the gospel. This is what maturity and basics of growth are about. Complete my joy. And he states that as like a command. It's, it's interesting. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. And he'll pick that up in a couple of verses in just a moment here. But he gives us some color here in verse 3. And verses three and four about what it looks like, about what it looks like to 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 begin to pass on, to begin to pass on the comforts of the gospel to another. He says, "Do nothing from rivalry or conceit." Verse three: Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Let's press pause here for a second on these two verses. Remember, the key for any book, uh, but the key for us in Philippians is to remember the larger context of the book. Philippians is about their growth in the advance of the gospel. So we're talking here, not just uh, verses 3 and 4, about being nice to others. I mean, Obviously, kindness and being nice to others is good. I mean, that's an okay thing to do. But remember the larger context here. The larger context is that this is about a partnership for the advance of the gospel, a partnership with one another, a partnership with Christ. And so Paul's emphasizing looking to the interests of others because he is emphasizing the importance of passing on the faith of the gospel. That's a key piece of that to get. Let me, let me say it this way. There, there are plenty of people who are as nice as the day is long. And people may really like them. <laughs> and they may be nice and kind and likable. But if they're nice and kind and likable so that their own personal likability scale with others will go up and improve and others will like them. But the context of the gospel being advanced is not a piece of who they are and why they're being kind. Then I say, count it as rubbish. He says, I count all things as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And if that's the case personally for you, then it's the case for somebody else too. So many of us, and and I have been motivated by people pleasing as a struggle for my life for a long time. And so then Jesus says, okay, well then I'll put you in pastoral ministry. Great. So many of us are so nice so that others 
will like us when really that's just where it ends. Which is to say that the, that the gospel advance is not a piece of who you're becoming. Who cares if you're nice? If that niceness does nothing to advance the gospel. Are, are you seeing that so narrowly, Scott? No, I'm talking about the enti- entire context of the whole book. Nice, kind, loving, fruit of the Spirit, behavior is about the partnership of the advance of the gospel. It's not so people like you. No, no, no. I hope people like you so that they like Jesus. So, so be nice for Jesus, but don't be nice for you. That can be, that can be a deceptive kingdom building for yourself, friends. That's not living like a citizen of a kingdom has good news to share. That's living like a citizen of a kingdom who wants to erect this sort of self-supporting structure around me so I feel good. <laughs> Paul's emphasizing big picture that the, the humility and the selflessness that, that comes from knowing Jesus is for the interest of others in knowing Christ, just like it was for Jesus. Keep reading. I'm not making this up. He grounds this in the selflessness of Jesus, starting at verses 5 and following. He grounds this in the death of Jesus. Pick it up at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's picking up those things he said at the end of verse 2. Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Then he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, though he possessed uh, God's nature, God's very nature in his pre-earth state, though he had equal rights and status with God the Father, Christ, keep reading, did not did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held onto, and so he let go of it. He let go of the rights and, and the privileges to an extent that meant that he could be found in human form. He said he made himself nothing, emptied himself. He emptied himself. Notice that uh, in verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So we have uh, emptiness and humility as parallels, we also have the form of God and the form of a servant as parallels there. So he says in verse 7, He made himself nothing. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. There is the form of God, the human form. He humbled himself. There's the emptying himself, humbling himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Here it is, to the point of death. He was obedient to the point Jesus would go to the furthest possible extent to ensure that you sit in the seat as a saved child of his. Just end of sermon. Jesus went to the fullest extent, not even humanly, the full extent possible beyond human possibility to ensure through his death that we could sit here as a saved child of his. So, When we follow him, we follow him to that same death. That's why we're saying adopt it. Make it your own. When you accept Christ as Lord, you've done that. You've said the me that was me is no longer me. Uh, This me is now he. I, I I don't particularly like 
I'm glad I've got kids who bear the name Wakefield and will continue to make, you know, the Wakefield sort of, you know, hopefully clan exist on the planet. But I've come to this place of, I don't care. I don't care if they have the name Wakefield. I care if they have the name Jesus. Make it your own. Make his death a test of your outlook. Here's the crazy part about all this. His death is what resulted in us having life. His death is what results in us having life. That's why we're supposed to pass it on. He went to the furthest extent possible. He died an ignominious, an ugly death, uh, the death of a criminal that he didn't deserve. And here's the crazy part. That's how we came to know him as Lord. Look at verses 9 and following. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, purpose clause, so that at the name of Jesus, you and I could sit here as saved children of God. That's not what it says, but that's an implication of it. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The incarnation. God becoming flesh. God becoming flesh in Jesus. The incarnation is a model for us of what selfless love looks like. Jesus died so we could know him. And Paul is telling us here, telling the Philippians, telling us, if Jesus can die so you can know him, you can do the same. Jesus' mindset, his outlook, was to go to whatever extent possible he needed to go so that those who would follow him could have forever relationship with the eternal, perfect, sinless God of the universe. His mindset was death to self. It says he humbled himself, he emptied himself. He had the form of God. He had all the rights and privileges hereunto. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew that as I sat in the, the chambers where the judge in October said, this kid's name is Wakefield. I knew that, that girl is our own now. We've adopted this new life. Jesus' mindset was, I want to adopt. I want to, I want to make these, these people my own. And so I will do whatever I have to do. My outlook, he said, was whatever extent was needed. And so if he could do that, Paul says, you can do that too. Because that's what's involved in being a full partner in the advance of the gospel. A full partner in the advance of the gospel. That's why Jesus tells us in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So, so can this be said of us? Is our mindset, our outlook, the same as Jesus' mindset? Because we're, we're, we're called not just to enjoy the comforts of the gospel. Listen, the American Christian problem is comforts, 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 Christian luxury, Christian luxury. Oh, isn't it nice that we have Jesus? Yay, we love the gospel. We hoard and, and enjoy the comforts of it. And we, we get stuck there. We don't go past there. That's, it's, it's not just there. If we're going to follow Jesus as we're called to, as Scripture calls us to, we're going to go beyond that and do what we have to do to pass it on. That's what it means to be Christ-like. The problem is, the 
the problem is that we know that we know that following Jesus means adopting his death, making it our own as the test of our outlook. And the problem is that we change these words. This is how we function. We change adopt to be something more like borrow. I can take it when I need it. I can put it down when I don't need it. Let me, let me, it's on loan. When I feel like I'm ready. And, and instead of it being really a test of our outlook, it's sort of functionally for us a validation. And instead of being an outlook for all of our lives, a lot of times we borrow it as a validation for our lifestyle, for our current behavior, for our life as we're already living it. These words like adopt and test and outlook are uh, morphed. Actually, they're, they're perverted when we take these things for our own kingdom and we borrow it to validate where we already are. That's not Christian growth. That's not Christian growth. Christian growth rejects the notion that where we are is where God wants us to be. Because if following Jesus is following him to the cross, it means adopting his death. Not just borrowing it. It means it's the the test, the filter for these various things that come in and what comes out is Jesus' death. We want Jesus' death to come out of your life. When we adopt Jesus' death as a test of our outlook, we grow into people who God will use for the sake of his goodness and his glory being made known. Think about that. We grow into people who God increasingly makes himself known through Philippians 1.6, calls God the he who began a good work in you. And Paul is praying for the completion of that work, that his joy would be made complete as the Philippians are growing. Friends, that is our prayer for us. That you would open yourself to the continued work of God so that he can make himself known through you. You want to love Jesus? (laughs) You want to love Jesus with all of your heart? Then you will pray, Lord, Lord, take me to the cross in my life. I want to live like that so I can know more passionately, more fully who you are and what you've done for me. That's what it means to adopt his death. Let's pray.